Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators and advisors discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social and governance factors. Welcome to the first episode of Leadership Conversations. I'm Helena Guionsdottir and I'm a project manager at the Sustainability Board Report, also known as TSBR. I'm here with Frederick, the founder of TSBR, and we are extremely excited that we can finally release the first podcast episode of Leadership Conversations. Yes, Helena, it is exciting times indeed, and thank you for all your support making this podcast happen as well. I quickly just wanted to recap on why we are doing this now, and there is certainly no shortage of business, sustainability, and leadership podcasts, but our report has really resonated with a lot of people. We're really talking about, essentially, with great power comes great responsibility. And we focus, of course, of the business side of great power, and that, in our eyes, is the board of directors. That is the highest instance of a business. Yes, dynamics vary, but at the end of the day, the policy and the decisions that are made on board level are usually the ones that count. And our project really lives off the input of a lot of external advisors and experts, business leaders, board directors, but also professors of business schools. And we have so many amazing conversations with these people that we thought, let's put a few of those on the record and let's engage with the inspirational leaders and make these conversations available to a wider audience. Let's talk about what executive as well as board leaders have to do to drive the discussion on sustainable business leadership forward. And we were lucky enough to secure one of the most inspirational leaders that I certainly have ever spoken to, and that is Hala Thomas Dottier, the CEO of B-Team and a former presidential candidate of Iceland. And it turned out, Helena, just before we started the recording, that you and Hala go way back, right? Yeah, it's a great story, actually. Not only is Hala very influential in Iceland, where we're both from, but she is actually a childhood neighbor of my father. So realizing that prior to the recording was a great way to start our conversations with her. And what a conversation we had. It was really very fluid. It was very warm and it was just so full of yeah wisdom. And she gave so many great examples um, of other inspirational leaders and really people who want to make a change and the influence that they have in society. And I think every listener can take something from it regardless of their role. What were your favorite pieces of the conversation, Helena? Hatla is very authentic in everything that she shared with us. But I really enjoyed when she spoke of the concept of capitalism with care. And that was sort of a thread throughout the whole conversation. And she said, you know, that leaders need to have humanity at the heart of their leadership style. And to do so, one has to have humility and courage. And I think that couldn't be more accurate as we've seen in today's society. I also think that it's really important, sort of her last note to us, was that, you know, this is not a time to do business as usual. Um, now it's the time to show up. 
that really resonated with me and I think that's something our listeners can take away. And I would say without further ado, let's go to our first leadership conversations with Halla Thomas Dottir. It's a great pleasure to welcome Halla Thomas Dottir to today's episode of Leadership Conversations, a podcast by the Sustainability Board Report. Halla is the CEO of the B Team, a group of courageous business and civil society leaders working together to transform business for a better world. She started her leadership career in corporate America, working for Mars and PepsiCo. And of course, many will remember her being an independent candidate for president of Iceland in 2016, where she came in as the runner-up. Halla, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Frederick. It's great to be here. Would you like to get started with your leadership journey and the current work that you are doing? Sure. Um, well, I don't think anybody can talk about their leadership journey without going back to what we're made of. So I think um, the first thing I would uplift is that my DNA is Icelandic. And uh, with that comes what I would like to call a commitment to capitalism with care for people on planet. And I even grew up in a family setting with parents who my dad was a a plumber, but he turned entrepreneur to uh, turn housing into uh, geothermal heated um, buildings instead of using fossil fuel. So, and, and my mom, she really cared about people who were left behind and spent her career fighting for people with disabilities to get out of institutions and to have jobs and meaningful purpose in life. So I think I would say that in my DNA is this commitment to capitalism with care. And I guess you could say that's what I work on today. And I would even like to add to that, that even growing up, I grew up in a place that today is widely recognized as the best place in the world to be a woman. And I think that hugely impacted me and made sort of gender balance natural to me. So that's sort of the upbringing. But then I went to corporate America, first studied in America and then went to corporate America and had some great um, lessons in leadership and, and, and in life in corporate America but got to a point after a number of years working for M&M's and Pepsi where I felt like something was missing. And so I returned to Iceland to sort of pursue greater personal um, balance and, and, and maybe a more meaningful purpose in my life. And I think that was another sort of, you know, leadership is about what you're made of. It's, it's kind of what is in your heart, what is in your inside. And then it is the experiences you collect. And I think it is a lot about the courage to make decisions, to pivot away from things that don't work to you, for you and towards things that actually do work for you. So I've done a lot of different things over the last couple of decades that might seem eclectic, you know, coming from corporate America to starting a university to founding an investment firm with an ESG lens in 2007, when very few people were talking about environmental and social and governance metrics, uh, to running for president. So I've certainly, and I've been a social activist on the side of all of this, but I think my sort of third pivotal moment in life happened in 2008 when my country, Iceland, experienced the most infamous financial meltdown and all trust was broken in our society. And I committed even more deeply to dedicating the rest of my life to driving what I would call systemic change and to um, find a way to turn people profits, uh, business, um, and my own efforts towards unlocking capitalism with care, the well-being of 
people and, and our very home planet being placed alongside the pursuit of profit is very much the mission of the B team. And, and I think it's been a long time coming for me. And I, I had to get to the age of 50 before I really owned that it was my purpose. And when I became the CEO of the B team, but there I work with global leaders from both business and civil society to, to pursue what I believe has been my true purpose all along. Great. And your background really is so diverse. And, and we talk so much about diversity. You've done it all, right? You've been in business, academia, government, and you're still involved with a lot of initiatives. What I noticed is when I browsed through the leaders page of the B-Team website is that most of the leaders there are also having a very diverse background. But what do all these leaders have in common? And that's including you, of course. And what is the mission that you are trying to achieve? Yeah, I think um, it's actually interesting to talk a little bit about what, you know, is leadership today better if you embrace a broad range of experiences or sort of a narrow career path? And so let's go back to that. But what I believe all the leaders of the B team have in common is that they place humanity at the heart of their leadership. And they really see it as leadership to safeguard the future of humanity and our only home, the planet. And so they are basically choosing to be leaders who have rethought and redefined leadership to be about building a better world and not just about achieving the highest possible financial profit in the next quarter, uh, which has sort of been um, what I would call the era of shareholder primacy in business, certainly in corporate America, and was probably the reason I didn't find it meaningful enough to stay back in the 90s when I was there. And so they're choosing to show up with courage, but also humility, because I don't think our leaders on the B team, even if all of them have been outsized successful on any metric that you might apply in the world, they are leaders on the global stage for both business and civil society. They run countries and, and big movements and big businesses. But they are choosing to say that this moment is not about any one of us being bigger than any other of us, meaning that this is a moment that calls for leadership in all of us. And that kind of leadership has to come from private sector, from governments, from civil society working together in a very different way than we have been trained to do in business school or, or even in our careers where we have typically been a lot more siloed. We either have a private sector career or we have a public service career, or we choose to dedicate our lives to nonprofit leadership. But most of the B team leaders say, no, actually um, we need all of the stakeholders in society to come together to actually create an economic system that serves all stakeholders and doesn't leave so many people behind or leave us facing an existential climate crisis that will soon not uh, allow business to do any more business because there is no future for business or any one of us beyond the planetary boundaries. It's interesting. We have had a similar observation. A couple of months ago, we ran a scenario project where we got together with a, a broad set of leaders as well, asking them who are the leaders of the future around a business. And, and usually we think of CEOs or the board of directors, of course, but we also uncovered very much so employee activists, for example, stepping up to leadership. 
governments or other more passive stakeholders, whether they are in the community or are closer to a business such as a supplier and so on, and all of them really pressuring the entire business ecosystem uh, to adopt a new leadership narrative. And then more recently, in our report that looks more at the corporate governance side of things, we have confirmed the finding that women are driving uh, the conversation around sustainability. So I was wondering if you would dare looking into the future for, say, the next 10 years or so, and talk to us about how will leadership fundamentally change within the next decade or so, and uh, where might we already see this play out now in the present? Yeah, I think you said it, Frederick. I actually think gender and inclusion more broadly, I would incorporate sort of racial and ethnic backgrounds, even a generational sort of uh, um, diversity as the key lever to driving the transformation that now must happen. And I'm absolutely certain that only organizations that really embrace the fact that you have to change who to be able to change how you lead and do business are going to survive this great transformation that is already underway. So I don't even think you have the next decade to make it happen. At the B team, we are calling on leading businesses and, and, and leaders more broadly to close the gender and racial gaps in leadership by 2025, because we actually don't think we can deliver what we need by 2030 with more sameness or, and, or more conformity in leadership. So we have to disrupt the conformity that got us to a point in time where we are facing a convergence of crisis and frankly not doing a great job at moving from that reality to the future reality that we could move towards if we had the courage to really shift who is in leadership so we can shift how we lead. So I think the gender and inclusion angle is the most important lever to lead this transformation. And I think organizations that are at the forefront of that, I can name a Nordically originated company, IKEA, the Nordic retail company, as having put out the bold vision to be people and planet positive by 2030. So they're moving beyond the narrative of doing no harm to say, no, they're actually going to contribute positively to the planet and to the lives of people by 2030, which is a, probably one of the more aggressive timelines you see out there. But one of the first things they did to get there is close the gender gaps in leadership and are now working hard up on uh, closing the racial and ethnic gaps more broadly in their leadership teams. So I, I think this is it. This is the time where if we want to get to a future where we love where we live, where we are living within the planetary boundaries, where we have managed to create a more just and inclusive transition to that period where we've managed to stop and reverse the breakdowns in nature, which I think all of us as humans know we need to survive and thrive. We are going to have to change who, to change how. That is the most critical lever for the leadership trans transformation that is, I think, already underway. And I think the companies that are doing this the fastest are the best future fit companies and are most likely to see and solve the challenges that have led to what is now broadly known as the great resignation. You know, um, it's maybe a little bit of an American reality, but we see it happening more broadly where talent is increasingly to the degree of four to five out of 10 thinking about leaving or already leaving their organizations because the social contract or the, the lack of meaning or, or the lack of justice in, 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 in the deal between the employer and the employee 
doesn't seem fair anymore. And so I think organizations are going to have to place purpose at the heart of what they do. I think they have to use diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts to drive that transformation, not see it as something to do on the sideline. And I think once you realize that, this transformation happens almost automatically. It's no surprise to me that women in the boardroom means ESG is in the boardroom because I have long seen when we have gender balance, the definition of success is broader. It is more inclusive of our impacts on everything that matters. And I don't think we can do business in a way anymore and attract talent, attract customer loyalty, and even attract capital without having a broader definition of business being in service of all stakeholders and not just the shareholder. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of our listeners would agree on that notion. And you've just spoke a lot about actions and we heard um, a lot about the decade of action, right? Now is the time. Do you sometimes still get frustrated when you are speaking somewhere, when you have meetings with leaders? Do you sometimes feel, you know, it will be difficult to get there? Or do you now really see things changing and people actually starting to act on what you have probably been preaching for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, the honest truth, Frederick, is yes and yes, meaning I'm a stubborn optimist, um, and stubborn optimism is a, is a term that was coined by Christiana Figueres, the architect of the Paris Agreement, and one of our B-team leaders. And I think all of us on the B-team are either prisoners of hope or stubborn optimists because we actually don't have a choice. Business as usual is not an option, yet there's entirely too much of it. So, of course, we do get frustrated. But I'm also hugely inspired. I just returned from Glasgow, where I was for two weeks, and and, and then with a short stop in, in Spain before I returned home. And I just have to say that I've never seen private sector, including the investment space, show up with the fierce commitment to this future that we not only have to create together, but but can create. And so I'm seeing mobilization in the private sector at levels that I've never witnessed before. When the B team was founded in 2013 and said business as usual was no longer an option, a lot of people asked why. A lot of people were still asking why post 2008, when I was convinced that the global financial crisis would wake us up to better ways of doing business. And, yet, and, and, and I'm still convinced that it did. It's just happening in a slower fashion that we need. We need greater speed and scale for the transformation. So I'm frustrated with the lack of that. But I'm hopeful that no one asks anymore why. I really don't get that question anymore. I get the question, tell me how. Tell me how I lead in the face of COVID, climate, inequality, breakdowns in trust, you know, weak democratic fabric. Uh, populism, social media that is, you know, advocating or, or putting out things that may not be true. You know, how do I actually show up as a leader at a time where science isn't trusted? You know, these are the questions are really tough. And I would say maybe the questions right now are more powerful than the answers. But one of the things we did at the B team um, just a few weeks ago is we put out a new leadership playbook. And what we are doing there is we're collecting stories, conversations, questions, and resources that our leaders have been using to navigate their leadership journey and being leaders that are navigating this transition to a, to a better world, uh, away from the shareholder primacy era to this stakeholder capitalism future that I, 
I think we all know we need to get to, but are not moving at the speed and scale that we need to be moving towards delivering that future uh, for our own children, for the next generation of employees and, and customers and so on and so forth. So I think we try to turn our frustration into into inspiring and calling for and urging leaders to join us on this journey, not asking anyone to do it in perfection, but saying that not making progress is no longer an option. You can't call yourself a leader if you're not meeting this moment that is more critical than any other we have faced in our lifetimes. Uh, And you're going to just continue to do the same. I just don't think you deserve to be a leader or that you're going to survive as a leader with that kind of a mindset. So we're trying to deliver the norm shifts and the mindset shifts needed and some inspiration, but also do it with humility because I'm not sure any one of us has the answers. And the model, the leadership model that probably is needed now is bring those multiple stakeholders more together in co-creation because there is a generation gap in values. There is a gap between what private sector is now asking for and moving on themselves and what governments are doing in some cases. And there's a huge gap when it comes to trust from people in the street. It was really felt in Glasgow. They, you know, Greta Thunberg, when she says blah, 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 is not wrong. Because we have talked a lot more than we have enabled the action on accountability that is needed at this moment. So much more is needed. But I remain a stubborn optimist that private sector can and must catalyze this transition, but it cannot do it alone. Brave leadership in a broken economic system that doesn't measure what really matters and watches the short term more than the long term is not going to work. Yeah, you just mentioned the how to that people don't really ask you anymore. Why, but how? And when we stay on that for a moment, what are the projects that you are following or the exciting projects coming up? Obviously, we're just coming out of COP26 and certainly that was the big one. But what does B-Team have in the pipeline and what are the projects that you are following that are promising and will be exciting for leaders to follow and learn more about the how-to? Well, in addition to the new leadership playbook that uplifts a lot of, I think, relevant stories and resources and and deep conversations through our podcast, 10 Times Boulder, I think those are really good resources. And I I would encourage anybody to follow newleadershipplaybook.org for as we will continue to update stories, because I think this is a lonely journey. It's a hard journey, and it's very encouraging to actually tune into the journeys that others are navigating. But one of the things that I am most excited about as I look ahead to 2022 is the B team just put out a statement towards the end of COP where we actually committed to bringing the multiple stakeholders in our economic system together in a dialogue, in a global dialogue or in series of dialogues to actually align our incentives in the economic system. Right now, we pay to the degree of $1.8 trillion in what I would call and we are calling environmentally harmful subsidies. We're essentially incentivizing and investing in the past and not in the future we need. We need to realign those incentives. I'm very encouraged by the Foundation of International Sustainability Standards Board that was announced while in Glasgow. It took us a long time to get a uniform global standard for accounting, but it only came for financial accounting. And we all know that our impacts on the environment, on the social fabric, on 
and on our governance matter. So I think, you know, getting sort of a global baseline standard established around ESG metrics is going to be critical. And I hope that will also include actions on the S in the ESG. I, I think progress is being made around the E, but and I think there's some progress that's been made around the G. But I think the S is really where the pain is right now, because the crisis of inequality and the crisis of trust may really be the barriers in the way of us being able to tackle COVID, climate and, and the other global threats we are facing. So I, you know, I would say that the dream we are having right now is can we, co- can we convene and co-create the path from our current situation towards a future of shared prosperity on a healthy planet? by bringing people more together and tackling the perverse incentives that still exist and getting more speed and scale behind the actions and incentives that need to be put in place for stakeholder capitalism to become a reality. And so we don't think those answers are going to come from us or any one organization, one country, but we do think they can come from us working together across generations, across existing power and emerging power, across global north and global south. There's a real divide in the world when it comes to all of those challenges uh, between where we live and how hard we're being hit. And so that's um, something, it's a new way of leading. So it's leadership to me and new leadership playbook is not just about new qualities or the stakeholder mindset and model that is needed. It is also about showing up and believing that there is leadership in every single one of us and that the greatest work in life is to unlock that leadership in service of the future we want and, and frankly need. These are some great points, especially the point around the incentives, I think is, is very important. Hala, I would like to ask you a more personal question as well. And I was very much looking forward to ask you this. What is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization that had a huge positive impact on either yourself or society? Oh, I have so many, Frederick. It's hard to choose. Um, and But I think to, to be of relevance to the listeners, I could tell you the story of how women in Iceland went on a strike. And, and I was seven years old. And my mom told me they did this to show that they they mattered. And, and this was the beginning of Iceland becoming the first country in the world to choose a female as their president. And she was the kind of president that really inspired me because she really embraced an agenda. And her agenda was very much around the environment, around gender equality, and around the importance of cross-cultural languages and, 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 and skills in, in, in sort of living in a peaceful world. So she changed me. But let me give you two really quick examples of companies within the B team that really inspire me, because I hope that what they're doing can inspire others listening. One is Naturanco. It's a company from Brazil. It's a leading cosmetics and beauty company, but it originates in Brazil. And they just put out, and it has been around for decades, and it's always been so dedicated um, to the fact that we need to preserve the Amazon. It's one of the three remaining rainforests, and it really provides all of us on this planet with the ability to live on it. And so in the Amazon, a lot of people cut down the forest to make meat so we can all continue to eat meat around the world. But Naturanco has decided to uh, work with all the thousands of families, indigenous families, many of them that live in the Amazon, to use the fruits of the trees instead of cutting down the trees to create value. And they do this in such beautiful ways, take this sort of multi-stakeholder communal approach to their business. And their business is very successful. It's the largest B corporation in the world. 
and it is a listed company, and it's been growing from the global south into the global north by buying Aesop and Avon and Body Shop, sort of big brands from the global north, bringing the values that they embrace into the north, I think is quite interesting. And last year, they put out a, a strategy that they call commitment to life. And I just think that the name of that corporate strategy, commitment to life, is so powerful and worth uh for those listening to to take a look at, but they're committing to reversing nature loss and getting to a net zero world as early as 2030. They're committing to closing the gender gaps by 2023 because they understand that's an important part of changing how they lead and do business. They're committing to using circular economy, but most importantly to me, they're committing to human rights and humankind. And they allow themselves to use words like that, which is, I think, says everything about the conscious leaders that the three co-founders and, and everyone they bring into the company choose to be. They choose to be great leaders. The other example I want to tell you is a smaller company, upstate New York, called Greystone Bakery. Most people may not know this company, but most people have had their brownies because they are in every, you know, or many of the pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. They're the main provider of the brownies inside of that ice cream. An incredible company, been around for decades again, too. And they use something they call open hiring, open and inclusive hiring. It means that if you want to work, if you really want to work, you can show up at their company or their website and just put your name and phone number and contact information down on paper. And there will be no questions asked. Next time there's an opening, you can get a job. So basically, no CV, no interview, um, no request that you have an address, uh, no background check, no criminal background check, no drug test, none of those barriers that we have built to people being able to come off the sidelines there, uh, that many barriers in society have put them on. Because we have a crisis in America, and I think this is a powerful story for those operating in America. We have 10 million people out of work, and we have roughly 10 million job openings. There is some kind of a brokenness in the system. And people who've been in jail, people who are subject to domestic violence, people who are homeless, people who have um, uh, bad credit, which is not always due to their own doing, people who don't have access to school and education that teaches them to do interviews and CVs. There are so many reasons for why people are not getting to work even when they want to. So at Greystone, they basically commit to you. They will train you to do the job and also to do other jobs once you're ready to leave them. And they will train you in all of those life skills that we have failed to train many, and they will basically give you a living wage and full benefits from day one as they train you. I think this is a beautiful story. It's a very practical approach that any business could take for at least some of their roles. Uh, they do it for 70% of their roles at Greystone, and now Body Shop and, and other companies are starting to learn from them. And it really is a very pragmatic way to give opportunity to the many people we've left behind in what I would venture to call a broken economic system. Yeah, these are definitely some inspirational stories. And I can imagine now some people listening saying, I feel inspired after I've heard Halle talking for the last 30 minutes. So what can I do as a leader who wants to do better right now? You mentioned a couple of things, of course, but what, what can anyone implement basically today to get started on more positive societal impact? Well, let me give you first, uh, you know, a, a fairly simple answer, but then I want to go a little deeper. 
The simple answer is we all must show up with our authentic voice and values for this moment. We must voice what we really care about. And I don't know a single human being that doesn't care about nature, clean air, eating food that doesn't kill you, living in societies that aren't killing each other or are so deeply divided that we can't get along. I don't think I know anybody who doesn't want to live in a democracy that functions and so on and so forth. So I really think that you need to really embrace your own authentic voice and values now. But I also think you should use your wallet, direct your own business, your own consumption, your own investment into the companies that are aligning with this future we need and less so in those who are stuck in the past. But the most important message I think I have for anyone listening is it's time to drop from our head to our hearts. And every single one of us needs to create our own moral compass or our own leadership compass, whether we serve in formal leadership or not. It's time to know what we really deeply care about and craft our own purpose and our own principles to help navigate what will undoubtedly be the most challenging, but possibly the most exciting decade of our lifetimes. This is not a time to sit on the sidelines. This is not a time to do business as usual. This is not a time to fall victim to the crisis of conformity that brought us here. This is a time to show up with our authentic voice and values, to drop more from our head to our heart and work for what we care about. And if we manage to do that, and I do think having a written moral compass or a written inner compass uh, is critical. So leadership is largely an inside out game, meaning you have to know what you care about to be able to show up for what you care about it in the external world. So dropping from your head to your heart is critical. But I also would say bridge the gap between existing power and emerging power. Do not think that all the lessons and leadership and mentorship and sponsorship you need is going to come from those who currently sit in power. Try to engage as much as you can across these gender gaps, generational gaps, uh, racial gaps that have brought us to a pretty fragmented, divided world full of otherness because we have a lot to learn from each other. And the leadership that's going to be fit for the future is largely going to come from those who are able and willing to disrupt the crisis of conformity that sits in many leadership rooms, many boardrooms, many marketing rooms, many design rooms. Uh, so, so bring the other into everything you are doing and bring a learning mindset a curious mindset, uh, because if you don't, you're fast going to become irrelevant in a world that is experiencing the largest shift in values that I have ever witnessed. And I think we may not witness a transformation at this level um, again. So if you want to be relevant, if you want to be fit for future, drop from your head to your heart, engage with emerging power and emerging leaders and, and thinking as much as you do with existing power and get off the sidelines and make your voice and values matter. That was a great closing, Hala. Unfortunately, we have come to the end of the episode. I could uh, carry on talking to you for much longer, but it's been uh, enormously helpful and absolutely fantastic to have you join us today. So thank you so much. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Frederick. It's been my honor and I hope so too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership Conversations. 
To follow our work and learn more about our reports, please check out our website, boardreport.org, and sign up to our newsletter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Details can be found in the podcast description.